Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our read-through of Mockingjay, reading chapter 10. Could you start us off with a recap, please, of what happens in this chapter? A recap? A recap! After PETA's revelation that District 13 will be attacked that night, they evacuate deeper underground into a well-organized bunker. Plutarch tells Katniss to act calm because everyone will be watching her, but when her mother arrives and it's clear that Prim went back for Buttercup, Katniss has to stop the doors from being locked until Gail, Prim, and the cat are through. Then a bomb drops and Coin announces that Peta's information was correct. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, Coin. Obviously. And Katniss and Prim get some sister time together as they are scared and supporting each other. Prim tells Katniss that she doesn't think that they'll kill Peta because then they'd have no one she cares about to use against her. She thinks that they'll do whatever it takes to break her. Not ominous at all. No. Especially coming from a child. A 13-year-old? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Panem. <laughs> Well, let's get into our discussion then. So what striking moments did you have? What stood out to you on this read-through? During this read-through, I've been paying a little bit more attention to side characters than Mm. I had in the past. And so in this chapter, I was noticing how Boggs stays with Katniss and Finnick and walks them down when, you know, it's not a drill, but when all of these people are doing their typical drill routine. I mean, obviously, they're quite important people mm-hmm. because they are two of four victors that they have there. And the only two that Penem really would want to see. Yeah. <laughs> so they're important and so they, it can be strategic in that way. But they're also two that aren't familiar as much with district 13 and they've been hospitalized so much that they've missed these sorts of things and they also get very disoriented and i could imagine that these loud sirens and all of these people and crowds could be anxiety inducing Mm -hmm. and so yeah i just i thought that that was not only smart but also a thoughtful thing to do to like walk them down to where they need to be and make sure that they're not confused or go to the wrong place and in extra danger and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And considering the volume of the sirens, Mm -hmm. he does it all without discussing it with anyone. He doesn't check in with coin. He doesn't go to think this through or strategize. He just starts doing it. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think you're, the the word thoughtful really, really is a, a good one for that. And when you think of, he's up there in command. He probably has things to be doing. Mm-hmm. He and, has his own family, we know. Yeah, I mean, even if they've done a bunch of drills before, this is the first time it may be real. Yeah. And, yeah, he's he's still thinking about people who this may be a harder situation for. and. That's always the way that we should be, right? That it's, think about the people who most need aid in the, in these moments rather than just saving yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I was impressed with that. I was also impressed with Gail checking that the Everdeens were, none of them were in, in 
their quarters and not only just seeing that seeing that prim's there okay get her get the cat let's get out of here but stopping to get the few belongings they had from home knowing that probably all of his family's belongings or most of them mm. were destroyed the fact that he thought of that and that these things are important and you know his dad also died so anything that they had of him they probably were all gone and Katniss does have a couple things yeah taking that time to grab them even if he's risking his life to get them is just yeah incredibly thoughtful and also just shows how close he is with her family like it's not just like oh i'm gonna do this and save your sister but like he went back to see event you know just to check yeah and like you're saying i think it also shows how close he is with katniss how how, much, how well he knows katniss mm -hmm. in that he knows the important things to grab because i didn't interpret it as all those things were already in her hunting bag i took it as like he grabbed the things that he saw around the room put them in the yeah hunting, i think hunting he, bag. i think he she even said like the things from my drawer yeah yeah so uh yeah i think it, it shows that thoughtfulness and that knowledge of katniss is going to need you know maybe even katniss is going to need something from PETA to get through this yeah exactly what you're saying i think that that's a really interesting idea of uh i know how much i miss having anything from my father if i can mm. get something for katniss i'll do so yeah absolutely but what about you? What are your striking moments? I've been told you have a lot of them. I do. Uh, yeah, a lot of things struck me throughout this read. I think one of them was how right after the broadcast, everyone's in command is, is kind of talking over one another, questioning what's going on. And Hamish is like, no, we need to take this as a real threat. And when they question him further, they say he growls. <laughs> which, like... <laughs> I can so see coming from Hamish as not only does Hamish have very little patience for stupid questions, but the fact that they're asking that as PETA is being beaten, possibly killed, mm -hmm. uh, is, yeah, I can just see so infuriating for him and for him to, to try to keep his composure, but not he be can't. able to, mm -hmm. yeah, is just, I think, a, a really good Hamish moment in a book that we don't see so much of him, but I think we see a lot of his character in those moments that we do get. Mm -hmm. I also was really struck by Katniss's moment when she was wondering where Prim was, and she kind of puts herself in Prim's mindset. She thinks about it the same way that she would if she was tracking a prey, but I really see this as an extremely empathetic exercise where she is, you know, doing her own from another point of view where she's being like, okay, I'm prim. I'm told to leave what's on my mind, the cat. Mm -hmm. And she's able to put herself in those shoes in, in a really kind of visceral way that I never really noticed before. And I just thought was a, a really great example of Katniss's natural empathy and her ability to to step into the shoes of other people. Totally, yeah. And this is a spoiler, so skip a minute and a half ahead if you haven't finished this book yet. Which I don't know how you've been able to put it down, but... <laughs> but also how tragic that by putting herself in Prim's 
mindset and her motivations and things like that, she's able to save her, help mm-hmm. save her and, and Gail and Buttercup. But it's by doing that that Gail helps kill him yeah. in the end, which is just... <sighs> Absolutely. And yeah, we'll definitely talk more about that when that comes. When Katniss herself likened that exercise to the way that she thinks about prey, mm-hmm. it, for me, made me also think about Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. And in that, one of the kind of core messages is how Ender talks about how he grows to to understand his enemy, whatever that might be, or whoever that might be, uh, to such an extent that he can't but feel love for them. Um, yeah. Like His superpower, in many ways, is that extreme empathy but it's used in a way to know the weaknesses of other people Mm -hmm. and for Katniss as a hunter that makes sense where she's able to find that out of the animals that she's hunting but yeah we'll see I think with Gale and other things we'll probably revisit this the last touch point I had was when Katniss was thinking about what was going on with PETA, which is something that I really appreciate how the chapter continually harkens back to that in both very obvious ways and in ways that are just kind of blood flashes in her vision. And it shows Mm -hmm. how frantic everything is in this drill and everything that she's worried about and how even as she's worried about Prim and as she's scared for her own life, she can't help but also get these flashes of what's happened to Peta and what might be happening to him. Mm-hmm. But she thinks back to what she saw in the broadcast and wonders about what was happening to Peta, where he seemed to be having this kind of internal struggle in getting out that message on the broadcast. I thought that it was, for one, just illuminating because Katniss is able to, not only she cares about Peta, but she's able to ask questions about what might be affecting him because she herself has lived through torture and lived through abuses of the capital. And so she understands how that might impact someone. Mm -hmm. But then she also brings up the word madness, which we talked a lot about last book Mm -hmm. in regards to, to Annie and how at the end of that book, she kind of has a moment of seeing Annie's mental illness as a possible future for herself mm-hmm. after she thinks she's been captured by the capital. Yeah, I just, I, that moment struck me after those kinds of examinations we had on the podcast as now that Katniss has herself really engaged with the idea of how trauma and torture and abuse can lead to what she calls madness, she can't not wonder if that's something that Peta is going through. So yeah, I think it was just a way that our previous discussions helped kind of bring a lot of depth to a moment that I really appreciated in this read-through. Yeah, yeah. But why don't we move into our From Another Point of View section. This is where we try to look at the events of this chapter from a perspective of then Katniss's. Who did you want to bring? So one that I was thinking about is Johanna Mason. Mm. Just thinking about her inside her cell you know when they drag Peta back Mm -hmm. and if they're still torturing him more 
and just the worry and concern for what is happening and why it's happening because she probably would not know. It's obviously in response to something and I was just imagining her cursing up a storm at them th- through the door. Yeah. And that, you know, she has a very rough exterior and I don't think she gets attached to people easily anymore because she purposefully chooses not to. Yeah, it's a survival response. Yeah, but I was thinking about if they're in cells and don't talk to anybody, don't see anyone, but maybe they could, you know, hear each other through the doors. Like maybe they shared conversations. Maybe they got Mm. to know each other more over these past few months of this going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking of her having a lot more concern and maybe now the capital can hurt her a little bit because this is another person who was there in this similar circumstances her who has helped her get by in some ways is as she's had to undergo torture as well yeah so yeah i was just thinking about how just having no control to do anything when she is somebody who takes action uh, must have been really difficult and not knowing if they were killing him or whatever and you know if a couple days later or whatever he's alive she can talk to him find out what happened Mm -hmm. because it's not like he could tell her ahead of time because it's too risky yeah right but after the fact i mean everyone knows (laughs) so i was just thinking about her like gaining a new respect for him after hearing that he warned district 13 Mm. and the rebels and not only that, but defied Snow while Snow was standing right next to him trying to be authoritative. Yeah. I think that she would really appreciate that. And it, even though I think they are very different people, yeah, she would, she would gain new respect for him, even if she already has gained some affection for him. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, it's a perspective I haven't thought about at all. And, and as actually, as you were speaking... I was thinking about how the one person who we have seen Johanna still have a relationship with is Finnick, which we also talked about last book. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she has a relationship with Annie, who mm-hmm. the capital probably also has in a similar area, but I can imagine her caring about Finnick means that she's worried for Annie's sake, for his sake. Mm-hmm. And yeah, how uh, for someone who has been able to be rebellious and who has lost so much to the capital. It must be hard being in a place where she has to navigate between having connections and not, and how that makes her more vulnerable. Absolutely. And the other main one I was thinking about is the capital's reaction to Mm. PETA warning District 13 and the rebels, and then the subsequent beating on television yeah i think that some people would be really mad because they've had disruption in the supply chain and they can't get all of their luxuries like they normally can or you know maybe at this point they're actually having to go without rather than just 
of their excesses. Yeah, who knows how much even energy reserves and things like that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I could imagine some people being furious and thinking that it was good. He should or he should be executed or, or whatever it is. Oh, we cared about you. We sponsored you. You know, terrible things that people could think of and would do. But I also think that there would be some people in the capital that even if, you know, they're not rebels, but like the train cooking staff that we talked about mm. in Catching Fire or the bakers from the Victory Tour banquet that PETA interacted with more directly. And especially the cooking staff seemed to feel bad that they were going back in and were trying to give them nice little treats that they liked and things like that. And... The baker is probably the first time they've actually ever interacted with someone from the districts or someone like Caesar Flickerman because he wasn't in this interview, which I also think is interesting. Mm. Probably the giving the most benefit of all doubts Mm -hmm. (laughs) would be thinking that he's not really comfortable with this. Mm and doesn't want to do it and maybe you know kind of talked his way out of it's like maybe they need to hear directly from you snow or whatever it would be i think more likely it's just snow being like well so far this has been it hasn't been severe enough it hasn't been taken as seriously as it needs to with this interviewer with this this tv presenter so now i the president slash dictator of penm will go out there and like i have the gravitas of the truth coming out Mm. and the fear that that could maybe instill in the districts that caesar flickerman just wouldn't i think that's more likely Yeah, and I think in addition to that, I could imagine him in the interview also being a ploy for the interview itself to be a distraction for 13, for the same time this attack is happening, for Mm -hmm. them to be watching the interview and distracted by that Mm -hmm. to open up for them to have fewer defenses or what have you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, the more compassionate reading of Caesar would be that he would be distressed Mm -hmm. to some degree at this (laughs) not only did he have good chemistry and banter with PETA in the first interview then he had to have the second interview Mm -hmm. with PETA and then he thought that that was the last time he'd ever have to interview him and then now he's back and the first interview goes fine and then there's time that passes and the next time he sees PETA, it's clear that even if he doesn't know the extent of torture, at least he is unwell. Yeah. And having to try to, like, you know, keep things lighthearted and everything, like, I I can't really imagine what that would be like. I, I would just be like, no, sorry. Kill me if you want. I'm not doing this anymore. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting. And I, I honestly, I don't remember. Do we see him again? Caesar Flickerman? I don't remember a time that we do. So, uh, you know, who, I don't know. I, yeah. Who knows? So, yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking about these, like, very mixed responses of distress on one side at, at seeing this happen. Well, and also, like, being like, oh, no, is Katniss going to be killed in whatever this attack is? 
And then on the other hand, just like fury that someone that we've treated so well would dare defy us. And... Yeah. 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 That's, that's interesting. But what about you? What are the other points of views you're thinking about? I am thinking about Prim. Mm. I was thinking especially about Prim and her discussion with Katniss and her excitement that she might be trained to be a doctor because this is a opportunity to, you know, not be a medic or a healer or an apothecary, but like a doctor, you know, the, the training and legitimacy that comes with that title, which, you know, and her mother even being kind of the healer for the seam in District 12 didn't have anything near that. Mm -hmm. And so Prim's excitement about this and, and kind of her unsure excitement kind of really struck me as mm -hmm. I was reading through because, you know, this is the first time Katniss has heard about this. Prim kind of seems nervous about the idea of sharing it. And I was thinking of a lot of reasons why that might be the case, why, why she might have kept it to herself for so long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, part of it, I think, out of wanting to support Katniss and not make it seem like she was just caring about herself and the positives that she might be getting in 13 when Katniss I'm thinking still... about my future when you're, you know, in hell. Exactly, yeah. So I think that's probably a big part of it. I think that she probably has a fear of getting her hopes up or jinxing it um, when it's not, like, set in stone. Mm -hmm. And I also wonder if there's a worry in her that it could be be a kind of issue between her and her mom because if that's the case then her mother who has been training her for so long would then be of a lower status hmm. than she would be and not to say that her mother specifically might have an issue with that but I think that just generational issues can come out of that kind of thing and so yeah I, I just think about yeah Prim is a 13 year old girl having all of these kind of conflicting emotions going on where there's this kind of self-focused excitement that she's trying to temper with everything else all the other dynamics around her um, and still the unsureness that she has as a refugee in district 13 mm -hmm. yeah i could have had to do it feel very weird to like have something to be excited about when your sister is waking up screaming from nightmares yeah. and in and out of the hospital and just having such a difficult time. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that she's very brave because, you know, when you're a kid and it's like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you have different answers, but you really have absolutely no clue what actually goes into mm. those professions. But she does know because she's seen people dying on her mom's table. Yeah. She's seen the family members that her mom has to tell and things like that. Like she is very aware and Obviously, there's the sense that she's been around that since she was so young, but there's also, even as she's helped with things, she hasn't been in charge. She hasn't had to feel responsible for the outcomes, yeah. uh, whether that's true or not. And so 
willingly going into that after seeing that like up close yeah that's that's a lot because even if it's like oh okay it's like oh i want to be a doctor like my mom or whatever they don't go to the office with them and see them you know <laughs> treating sick people yeah. or doing surgeries and things like that but you know prem prem sees all of the most horrible parts of this job and and particularly the horrible parts because I would assume there is probably a lot more horrible parts than positive parts treating people in the seam because they just don't have the resources nor necessarily the skill and the education to be able to save most of those people's lives so which I, I can imagine Prim's response to that being in part I'm excited to become a doctor because I've seen the need for that I've Mm -hmm. seen what not having a doctor and not having a well-supplied doctor does to a community and you know yeah she's seen up up close as exactly as you said so yeah I think it's it's just a really revealing moment for Prim especially in doing this kind of exercise definitely and I love that Katniss is like yeah like this is what we're doing this for yeah because this would be impossible if we were living in 12 and nothing had changed but now this is a possibility and maybe part of Prem's excitement is that that maybe she could get more education maybe she could get access to better medicines if they overthrow the capital and so it's not just what she's seen but she has this hope for being able to do more yeah and and have more positive outcomes from that work absolutely and the other thing i wanted to touch on is you know something that could be a touch point but i couldn't stop thinking about my students Mm. um especially at cal state la we are like a over 75% first generation student population. Mm. Um, And many of the students who come in are students who are not only first generation students, but first or second generation immigrants to the United States. And in their reflection papers, they'll write about how their family made sacrifices and worked hard to give them that kind of opportunity Mm -hmm. to, you know, have these new possible pathways and, uh, And many of them also want to give back to either their family or their community in many ways. A lot of them want to be social workers. A lot of them want to be psychologists, Mm. you know, the the students in my classes at least. And oftentimes they'll specifically say, I want to provide for my family because they provide for me. I want to give back to my community because either I've seen what resources aren't there or I've been lucky enough to be helped in these ways and I want to do the same. Yeah, which I mean, that that's probably the best reason for education right Mm -hmm. yeah if you can then use it and and choose to use it instead of just for success for yourself enriching your own life or your own nuclear family or whatever but actually like investing in in the community yeah you you kind of brought up katniss's quote which i think is a really great one about you know this is what the revolution is all about Mm -hmm. and you know, continuing with my focus on education, that also reminded me of the 1968 East L.A. blowouts in the Mm. Chicano rights movement, where thousands of students and other community members, teachers and others uh, in L.A. high schools, uh, particularly Latinx students, but also Black and other 
students of color uh, walked out specifically because of how the education system was failing them and in particular how they weren't getting the kinds of opportunities to go to college that they should have gotten. They didn't have representation in teachers or administration that were really focused on the needs of the community and it, it led to some really huge changes in education in Southern California. And yeah, it was that same kind of thing of this is in that w many ways a cultural revolution, a cultural rebellion. Mm -hmm. And it was because of the need for a change for a possibility of a better future. Yeah. So obviously those kinds of things are on my mind. So why don't we just go straight into the touch point section? <laughs> We've already started. Yeah. I guess we can continue. <laughs> uh, this is our segment about how we see elements of the narrative connecting to our own society. So what touch points did you want to bring to discuss? So I have two. Okay. Wow. I've, I've pulled back. You have. I'm but sure then they'll I also both be very haven't. brief. <laughs> yes, exactly. So atomic bombs. Oh, yeah, that, that old chestnut. Yeah, yeah. Super quick, easy to yeah. talk about. But Katniss is terrified that they are going to drop atomic bombs. She's just so distressed thinking about, yeah, I know we're super far underground. I know there's these huge doors, but would this really stop radiation? I don't think so. And even if it did, it would like completely destroy the environment up above. And, you know, what would even be left for us to be able to do anything with? Yeah. And for a good reason, she is terrified. So mainly I was thinking about the environmental aspect, but... Of course, let's touch on a little bit of the human aspect as well, because I'm going to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for the humans in Hiroshima and Nagasaki that didn't die from things like their skin melting off or thirsting to death, there was also long-term effects that were suffered by those who survived the bombs. There was around a 46% leukemia rate mm. within six years of after the bombings. And then for other types of cancer, those often presented themselves around the 10-year mark after the attacks. Mm. Also, for those who weren't even in the city, that doesn't mean that they weren't affected. Uh, I actually had a couple relatives that lived on the other side of, of this, these mountains near Hiroshima, and they felt the intense heat wave from when it was detonated from inside the mountain they were hiding in mm. and literally only survived after the attacks by eating grass for, like, a couple weeks. Wow. And... You know, this is what our country did to my people. So it is definitely something that I care about yeah. and the entire world should care about. But let's talk about the impacts on the environment because that's also really positive. Yeah, absolutely. So the detonation of an atomic bomb creates radioactive dust that falls out of the sky into the area around the site of the explosion. Mm -hmm. Obviously, 
but wind and water currents carry the dust across a much larger radius than where the explosion happened, uh, where it can contaminate soil and water supplies and, and then animal life as yeah. well. For example, animals in Chernobyl's forest, they've detected like high levels of radioactive cesium. So, yay. Also, atomic bombs create a bunch of soot which gets sent into the upper atmosphere and can on a large scale so some studies i was looking at it was basically if 0.5 percent of the world's nuclear weapons if if they were around the size of what was dropped on hiroshima and nagasaki if 0.5 percent of the world's bombs like that it would send about 5 million tons of soot into the atmosphere and because of that lead to at least 1 billion people being at risk of starvation Hmm. worldwide. Also, I don't completely understand the science behind it, but apparently when the extreme heat is released from an atomic bomb, it leads to some chemical processes that result in nitric oxides being released into the atmosphere which weakens the ozone layer not great no we we need that layer we we do important layer we actually do need that layer and then oh yeah if either more of more than the 0.5 percent of the atomic bombs were ever detonated or if anyone was like let's start using hydrogen bombs which have the potential to be a thousand times worse than an atomic bomb, then it would actually send the world into ice age temperatures and we'd all die. So it affects the environment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we should probably avoid those things. We probably should. Um, Almost as if we should get rid of all of our nuclear weapons. Yeah, I mean... It seems like it would be the wisest thing to do considering humans, Mm -hmm. but alas, we have so many to kill the world so many times over that it is absurd. And the fact that people even started making more and more and more of them after they saw what happened Mm -hmm. to the people of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and surrounding areas like is just unconscionable yeah yeah not to mention the fact that yeah this nuclear waste and byproduct and radiation Mm -hmm. lasts for hundreds of thousands of years yeah you can't get rid of it yeah so i mean we we talk about climate change and how modern generations don't care about the experiences of people two generations from now who are going to have to be living in a climate landscape that is awful and terrifying and destructive and destroyed. But in this case, we're not just talking about those two generations from now. We're talking about people hundreds of generations from now. Way farther in the future than we'll be able to survive because of what we've already into this planet. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's not going away plastic's not going away like how many toxic waste and byproducts and all of these things can we produce and think that like oh we don't need our oceans actually just algae produces like two-thirds of the oxygen 
mm-hmm. on the planet. So actually, we do need them. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's just things like war for conquest, for greed, at the expense of not only human beings, but also plant, animal, marine life. Like, it's just, it's really short-sighted and so foolish. Yeah. And obviously diabolical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nuclear weapons are bad. Yeah. And to tie it back to our narrative, you know, obviously Katniss is understandably afraid of the capital using nuclear weapons, but she's also working with District 13 who also use nuclear weapons. Like, mm-hmm. They haven't actually used them on the capital, but they're, as we've discussed, their society is centered around the potential for them to use nuclear weapons yeah i mean they they have them there's a threat as well just yeah. like we do and i mean we we're actually the only ones who drop them so mm-hmm. not even just a threat and the you know this is poignant now because of the threats of russia using mm-hmm. nuclear weapons in ukraine which is perhaps not probable but no defense specialist uh, ha- would go on record and say that there is zero chance of it happening. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying. And did you know that we actually almost went into a nuclear war during the Cold War because there had been like some false alarm yep. that the U.S. had, you know, sent off nuclear weapons at Russia? But thankfully... The person who, like, saw the reports just didn't report it because he thought it was, like, faulty information. And if they had just, like, launched this, we would have all died. (laughs) Yeah. So, not good. No. A good summation. Not good. (laughs) But something that is good. I actually have a positive one for once. I know. Okay, that's fun. (laughs) Turning a corner. (laughs) So I was thinking a lot about how organized District 13 is in this circumstance. Like in the United States, people would be trampled to death. Everything would go wrong because people are so individualistic. Yeah. You know. It's like, oh, the the coronavirus pandemic starts, like, let's buy 17 units of toilet paper. It's like, do you need that? You know, like, yeah. now other people will have none, you know. We would not do well in a circumstance like that. But District 13 is just so calm. Everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. People aren't panicking nobody's trying to run through the door in front of somebody else. It's like, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, things can go better. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was just thinking about, like, the, the foresight and the organization to have better disaster preparedness. Mm-hmm. And so then I was thinking about Thailand, because from what I've read about their situation, they they actually have some really smart ways of doing things among them is something called vhv or village health volunteers Hmm. because they still have a lot of people in rural areas it's a really brilliant part of the country's public health system 
that serves as a kind of like a network for community-based response to disasters and health issues. So these volunteers are the link between the various communities and health professionals. And their job is to basically help foster public health at the community level. And they're somebody that is trusted in their community to disseminate information. So they have one million of these village health volunteers in a country of only 54 million adults. So that's amazing. Yeah. And they started developing this after some really severe flooding several years ago. And during COVID, within the first two months, they had educated a couple million people about how to decontaminate things and how how to try to keep things hygienic to avoid COVID. Um, And that's, yeah, just first two months. And so if we want to look at actual, you know, if we want to look at numbers, the the deaths per million people from COVID in the United States are about 3,200 mm. and in Thailand are about 470 people. Wow. So it's just like, it's drastically different. I mean, it's like, yeah, the United States is a huge country, blah, blah, blah. But like, even if we just look at California, you know, our population is quite similar. Mm -hmm. And that would just never happen here, you know. And so I was just thinking about that and how certain countries, because of their culture, because they (laughs) care about community more than just themselves, Mm -hmm. um, it's helped them to, even if they... A lot of places have less resources that they are able to band together in a way and do community-based things that is a huge weakness of ours. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I don't want to wear a mask, so I just won't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and they're just like, well, volunteer to go door to door and help educate people on how to <laughs> avoid this, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, I was just, I was impressed with District 13 and how prepared they were and how it wasn't just preparedness but it's also part of their culture Mm -hmm. is thinking about the whole instead of just a particular person's not only survival but like comfort and wishes yeah yeah absolutely and Katniss is the person who doesn't fit in with that she's <laughs> yeah. the one who not only knocks people over when she's worried about prim <laughs> but who talks about how she doesn't understand how everyone else is so calm when the siren is communicating to her run panic mm-hmm. and no one's doing that and yeah the, the cultural responses to these all these elements i think are are really interesting you know the, the sound the symbols that come with disasters and, and these kinds of things and, and how you respond to that uh, are themselves elements of culture. Absolutely. And intentionality. Totally. Yeah. Because, like, the Thai government has set this up. Exactly. They've invested in these things. Our government, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I had a touch point that was on a bit of a darker view of <laughs> these uh disaster preparedness kinds of things because obviously disaster preparedness is an important element but uh when i think about modern american 
disaster drills, what I think of as active shooter drills. Well, yeah, I mean, very, 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 very preventable. It's It's not a disaster. It's you allowing it to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we could vote to literally prevent the, the uh, active shooters and, and gun violence, but, yes. you know, that's not going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. But yeah, but Katniss's experience in this drill really, for me, called to mind the experience that students will often have in active shooter drills. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, if there is an active shooter, you know, there'll be similar perspectives that are fearing for your life, unsure of what's happening outside of the limits of what you can see, the desire to panic, the desire to care for the people who are around you or who you care about. You know, th- those all make sense. But yeah, that, that kind of anxiety, that overarching kind of negative effects that has while you're experiencing it. But I've also been really interested in just the kind of propensity of active shooter drills, because that is essentially how our government says, this is how we prevent things, is we're going to have these this drills. This is how we make it safe. Yeah. Um, and according to the research that I've done, which is pretty shallow, I'm not an expert in this at all, mm-hmm. but it seems like there's been no studies that Unlike have... me and nuclear war. Exactly. There haven't been any studies that have shown any correlation between uh, active shooter drills and increased preparedness against an active shooter mm-hmm. um, or, or decreasing uh, violence in an active shooter situation. Obviously, that data is not, like, super easy to come by uh, or to create, but, you know, we haven't had that yet. But there has been at least one study that I was able to find uh, that was put together by Georgia Tech and a group called Everytown, which is uh, Mm -hmm. advocating against uh, gun violence, which showed that um, active shooter drills do have an immense effect on those who experience them. They were studying, essentially, the social media use of people who took part in that kind of drill 90 days before the drill and 90 days after the drill. And they found that uh, within those large spans, there's a 39% increase in depression, 42% increase in stress and anxiety, and a 23% increase in other physiological health problems in Mm. the people they studied. And that's students, parents, faculty, and others. So that at least seems to suggest that there are real, in particular, mental health, but also physiological effects, uh, negative effects that come from these kinds of drills that we don't know if they're actually helping. And there is a ton of anecdotal evidence out there that these drills themselves can be really traumatizing, Hmm. Um, in particular because sometimes these drills are not told to the students that they're a drill. And they might even use a form of live ammo uh, that's like rubber bullets or pellets or things like that. And so for the students at the time, it seems a lot like they are actually going through an active shooter experience. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. And so for me, it's just like a really hard question because, you know, as, as an educator, I have to worry about this possibly happening in a place that I'm teaching, mm-hmm. but also I have a lot of interest in these kinds of of issues and I I just I cannot reconcile whether it's worth it to attempt something that is meant to make people less likely to die in this kind of awful event but in so doing we are creating other kinds of trauma and how just like messed up that is a few years ago this was right before the pandemic 
I, I got an email uh, from the college that I was teaching and taking classes at that there was a gun-involved incident on campus, and if you're on campus, hunker down, like, don't don't leave your, wherever you're at, and mm-hmm. things like that. And it was all very soon. Uh, it wasn't an issue. There was no active shooter, thankfully. But for weeks afterwards, uh, students were, and, and faculty were understandably scared yeah. of going to campus. Uh, I think that half my class didn't show up the next class meeting and I completely understood why mm-hmm. um you know it was something that that scared me luckily I wasn't on campus that day but it's just a uh, a real you know awful kind of thing to have to be prepared for and yeah just seeing Katniss like experience all of the trauma of actually being in an emergency situation and knowing how that can affect our children and young people in our society is uh yeah it's just something that weighs on me a lot absolutely i mean that makes a lot of sense (laughs) and it's actually interesting that you you bring that up too because on our last patreon zoom meeting where we talked about catching fire one of our patrons mayumi had brought up school shootings and this anxiety that young people feel yeah i mean you just you never know it could be tomorrow it could be you know and that being you know something that obviously it's not the same but we could think about for all of these kids who could be reaped in the hunger games that is just this constant anxiety and obviously penem is even more saturated with this like you know it's going to happen you just don't know if you are going to be one of them mm-hmm. um which i mean i suppose you could argue is the same case with school shootings you don't know if it will be your school but it's going to be someone's school and if these students had that much increase in anxiety depression and all of these really adverse effects from these drills how would all of the children in the districts be growing up yeah i can't imagine the astronomical levels of, of anxiety and fear and, and depression because yeah yeah you you know it's it's possible it's you mm-hmm. or your friend yeah. or your sister you know and it's just really terrible for obviously the students who really don't have a choice mm-hmm. to be there. And then also the teachers who have to worry for their students. I, I shared on Instagram, uh, I don't know, maybe last month, this video about how different teachers in the United States, the, the measures that they were taking to try to be quote unquote prepared as much as they can, like yeah. just things that no teacher should have to ever do or prepare for just because Apparently, People. we are on the front line of st- solving gun violence. Right. Of solving mass shootings. Right. Yeah. And it's just because gun companies want money and some people want to be able to have a stockpile of guns for no reason. Yeah. So, yeah. Fun. <laughs> um, I did have one very other brief. I did have one brief other touch point, which was Plutarch's use of euphemisms, specifically calling PETA's beating a setback. Oh, yeah. Oh. 
which is just awful, but is something that also we see so often in our society, in our history. Um, the, The biggest example that came to my mind is when people who are murdered by police officers you know, the reports are that they were in, in an officer-involved shooting. Yeah. And it's like, no, a police officer shot them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's taking so much of the causality away. It's so, like, trying to distance things from what actually occurred. And it's just to make it so that you don't have to deal with the reality of the violence that's being enacted. Enhanced interrogation. Absolutely, yeah. Amazing example. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was just just another thing that we had to touch on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but we have uh, we have been talking for a while uh, on this one chapter, so let's go into our wonderments, <laughs> the questions that we have uh, about what we read in this chapter. So my one, I'm only bringing one. Chris. Okay. <laughs> my wonderment for this chapter is how did PETA get the information about the bombing? Mm-hmm. Because... I would imagine guards and torturers, experimental medical people, you know, like those would be the only real people who would have access to PETA Mm -hmm. when he wasn't on screen. So I was just wondering, like, how many people are involved in the rebellion on the Capitol side if they were able to get him this information, if that means that one of the guards is one of them, if that Mm. means, you know, could this informant be one of PETA's torturers? Because really, really disturbingly, it would be smart to have someone who their job is to torture secrets out of rebels to be one of the rebels themselves Mm -hmm. because then they can just not report them or not report information in full. But, like, can you imagine what that... Like, I... I couldn't do it. But yeah, I'm just thinking about someone had to have gotten high enough up to have access for terrible things to get him this information. Yeah. And yeah, just I wonder what that whole situation is is like. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Uh, Some really awful but compelling possibilities that right open up can there. you imagine if like this is the same person who like tortured Cinna yeah. and it's just terrible to think about but mm-hmm. we know plutarch would have been like this is a good idea yeah yeah <laughs> you want to help the rebellion this is how you do it torture pita yeah yeah oh my god yeah so yeah that's my wonderment what's yours mine is what was it that directed the soldiers to start closing the doors? Because if they're all checking in as they enter, they knew that not everyone had checked in. And so it clearly wasn't just, we have 100% of our people, now we're going to close the doors. So is it that there is a timeline? Is it that there is a, like, was there a discussion of, we've got all but two people and we don't know when the first bombing is going to hit, so we just need to close it at this point because we haven't heard anything. Mm. Um, is there a policy in place that says from when the sirens go off, you have this much time, and if you don't get in, you don't get in? And you know, maybe there's even like there wasn't any announcement of 
how much time was left, but maybe, yeah, subtle shifts in the sirens tell you how much time you've got left, or, you know, these things that Katniss just wasn't aware or didn't know to, to look for, but... Or maybe the guards there are told, specifically, it's not announced to everyone, exactly. but... Exactly, yeah. Have so they're communicuff. For, for a, a society that is so tightly controlled, is so disciplined, does gather so much information, is so surveilled... I just wonder how those kinds of decisions are made, particularly because we see here how the decision was made essentially to allow Prim and Gil to die. Mm -hmm. And so whether that was an automated decision based off their policies or protocols, or whether that was a discussion, I think either way, what was behind that would be really fascinating and illustrative. Mm -hmm. I think it's most likely, because I, I think in the next chapter, Coin mentions like that they're... Their systems did detect the bombs, but they wouldn't have had as much notice than if Peter hadn't told them. And so, yeah, it might be just as soon as they detect them, there's given like a certain window of time and then they close. And if people aren't in there, they're not in there. Yeah. Probably the people of District 13 know mm-hmm. <laughs> why. It's just Katniss doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And probably not Finnick either. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's head into our last segment, our intentions, what we are taking away or being called to do after this discussion. I think mine is just to be more disaster prepared. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Because, like, at some point in the next two months, Chris and I should be moving to a, a different place and... I've just been like, yeah, once it gets to then, then then I'm going to like sit down and do all of these things. <laughs> you know, I, I've started doing a little bit, but yeah, just trying to do a little bit more because it's not fun to thirst to death, I would imagine. No. So it's not fun to have your passport and medications and everything burned <laughs> down. Like, yeah. So you have a go bag in case you need it, you know, so. That is my intention. That's a good one. Yeah, what about you? My intention is to be better about being aware of when I might say something that is triggering for trauma. Mm. Um, And that's on my mind, actually, after reading this, because this week I had a pretty heavy conversation in one of my classes that I did not give a trigger warning for, Mm. because it kind of came to me at the moment. And I really regretted that pretty instantly. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I saw at least one student kind of seem like they were kind of putting their head down. And I didn't know if that was because the topic mm. was hard for them or just because they were bored. But I know, it made me immediately yeah. realize, oh, I, I messed up here. I should have done this. And so um, seeing Katniss experience this trauma, yeah, my intention is to, to really be more intentional uh, about those kinds of discussions. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm probably not very good at that either. I mean, I'm not in front of people, but because like, I I don't have those same experiences that other people do when hearing really distressing things um, or disturbing things. But that doesn't mean other people aren't. Obviously, our entire podcast is like content warning. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. People know by now, but... It's but if this is like, someone's first episode. But I mean, it's also yeah. the Hunger Games, so it's like a little bit more like we know what the topics are for yeah. the Hunger Games. And 
they're yeah. awful. So. But, yeah, maybe it's something to consider for episode notes or something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that, that is going to wrap up today's discussion. What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So next week we will be reading one chapter again, chapter 11, where we get distracted with kitty games. Let's just read a book series about kitty games. Oh, yeah. Touch we... points, I love playing games with kitties. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, it would be a lot happier. <laughs> My intention is to play more games with kitties. Oh, yeah. My intention is to film those games. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon to become a supporter of the podcast and let you get all sorts of extra content as we continue to go through Hunger Games. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Castell at Lacet for designing our logo. Find her at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.